Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, welcome to The Break, your sports snooker podcast. Coming up, we reflect on three incredible wins at the Betfred World Snooker Championship. Kurt Mafflin, a surprise winner over John Higgins to book the first quarterfinal spot. Joining him, veteran and three-time champion Mark Williams. And Mark Selby survives a final frame decider against Nopon Sankam. Also, John Higgins became the first player in eight years at the Worlds to score a maximum. We'll be talking 147th at the Crucible. All that plus, we'll find out how the whirlwind Jimmy White is coping in Sheffield. I'll be catching up with him a little bit later. Remember, it's Eurosport and eurosport.co.uk for all the live action from the Crucible until the last ball is potted in the final on August the 16th. I'm Rachel Casey and I'm joined in this episode by Dominic Dale, former Grand Prix and Shanghai Masters champion, as well as esteemed Eurosport commentator Phil Yates. Uh, welcome, guys. Goodness, you look absolutely shattered. You're not wrong. That was a heck of a match that was between Mark Selby and Nopon Seng. I'm a fantastic match. I was commentating on it and I've got to be honest, as a professional player myself, I enjoyed every minute in the commentary box. We've seen struggles from Mark Selby, but to have a brilliant break like that in a deciding frame, that's just astonishing. It's only the fourth time ever in 43 years of snooker at the Crucible that someone's made a century in the decider to do that under that pressure. Bear in mind, he was 12 to up and then Nopon Sankam came back to force the contest its full distance. Selby all over. What a man he's made of the sternest stuff, isn't he? Well, a granite again from the jester. Uh, you were looking for overtime after that match. Hours and hours. I was just so happy that they kept them on. You know, there was a lot of chat about, you know, maybe pull them off and, and play the deciding frame again. It would be ridiculous. Well, this is it, you see. But I was thinking to myself, well, as a player, if I was Ronnie O'Sullivan, let's say, and I was going on that table afterwards, I think, well, hang on, it's not my fault that these guys are overrunning. I want to play my match at 7 o'clock because you prepared for that. You don't want to be wondering what's going to go on and what time you'll be playing your match. But... I did send a text, a sneaky text at the beginning of the 23rd or 24th frame, I think, to Mike Ganney asking them, will they continue this match if it goes a full distance? And he actually said he wasn't sure. I think it depended on what happened the frame before, how long it took. But in the end, they did play it. And I am glad they did. A sneaky text. What was the last sneaky text you've ever sent, Phil? 
Well, it's only in the last few years I've been sending them. I'm a, a real technophobe. I've got just about right now on texts. I can send emails and as for social media, forget it. Now, listen, you came in here and you said, goodness, I've been commentating there for seven hours. What match were you on, remind us? Well, I was on the first session of Anthony McGill against Jamie Clark. Now, it finished 6-2 to Clark, so congratulations to him. That was a really good performance because sometimes when you beat a big-name player like he did in the first round against Mark Allen, you can suffer some kind of psychological hangover. That wasn't the case with Clark, but it definitely was with Anthony McGill. He had an unmitigated nightmare. Still so much to play for there and hopefully uh, it'll be dream stuff from uh, now on. Uh, Looking forward to that one, of course. Uh, Resuming uh, tomorrow, uh, great to see Mark Selby, of course, uh, survive the uh, final frame decider. Well done to him. Commiserations to Notpon Sangham, I'm afraid. Uh, So we bid farewell to him and, of course, we also bid farewell to John Higgins last night. What an amazing victory for Kurt Mafflin, Dominic. Fantastic, because John Higgins put him under a lot of pressure at certain times in that match. But, you know, Kurt Mafflin stuck to his task. He was emotionally very strong. I suppose he's the underdog. He didn't have a lot to lose. But I've I got this feeling that Kurt Mafflin feels he can do very well in this year's championship. He's really put the hours in, practiced with some very top players in preparation for this year's event. And I think that stood him in good stead because when, when he really needed to perform, he did. And he put a lot of pressure on John Higgins, who finally wilted there in the deciding frame. Oh, sorry, it wasn't the deciding frame, but it was the penultimate frame, wasn't it? He showed bottle, great bottle. He did. You know, everyone will remember that match for John Higgins' 147, but he also made two unbelievable clearances to win frames, to plunder them from absolutely nowhere. And when he went from 10-8 down to 11-10 ahead, I thought Higgins was a certainty to win. I wouldn't have backed Kurt Mafflin with bad money. But he played three wonderful frames, and going forward, if that doesn't boost his confidence, nothing will. Kurt was sublime and he was delighted. We can hear his thoughts now, uh, what he had to say after that big, big victory. I'm delighted, absolutely delighted, over the moon. A bit knackered as well, obviously, because it, it was a hard-fought game. John's never going to make it easy. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm delighted. I'm queuing well, I'm playing well. And uh, as long as you believe. And I, I want to go for my shots, going for my shots, and it, and it, and it paid off, it worked. He went for everything, didn't he? And, you know, he's got the belief, he's got the cue action. Is there kind of something that there's no crowd? It's almost like he's been behaving like he's been in practice and we're finally getting to see, you know, what what we can actually uh, see him achieve, maybe. Well, he's definitely a late developer. He's won the World Amateur Championship before. I think it was in Jordan, of all places. We always thought he got the game within him. Hasn't brought it out yet on the big occasion until now. To me, Kurt Mafflin is what Dave Gilbert was three or four years ago. Everyone in snooker knew he was a class act. Dave Gilbert eventually broke through, and now Mafflin's doing exactly the same. Has, it, has he been helped by no crowd, do you think, Dominic? It's possible. Everybody's different. Me, personally, I mean, I love a big crowd. I, I, I don't even care if I have a nightmare. I still love the big occasion, performing in front of people. But not everybody does. So some players will be benefiting by not having a crowd there, and they can just go about their business perform to the best of their ability and not have to worry about the atmosphere because it can be overbearing for some players because not everybody has you know extrovert personality like myself for instance and you know so it's difficult to say phil's thinking luckily (laughs) dominic extrovert (laughs) no never never Uh, I think he's he's definitely benefited from the, the lack of a crowd. I think it's been brilliant actually to see you know how good he is, and uh, we know that uh, Jimmy was was pretty keen on him. Actually, we'll be hearing from the legend in a in a little while. Now, 
147, it's a consolation prize. I think it's fair to say John Higgins, he's like he played brilliant in the match, but he was just always chasing. The first maximum break at the Worlds since 2012. And the player to achieve that, Phil, was a certain... Well, it was Stephen Hendry back in 2012, just before he retired. Now, when he made that break, if someone had said to me, there won't be another one here for eight years, I would not have believed them. But that uh, fallow patch really did occur. And you begin to wonder whether we're going to see one ever again. But Higgins's break was absolutely fantastic. The key to it, well, there was two, really. He potted a tremendous red to the middle pocket on 56, dropped nicely on the black. Then you thought, yeah, maximum on here. And, of course, the positional shot from the last black to the yellow, that's always a bit tricky when you're making a 147. Even then, with the stakes for John Higgins, the £55,000 he won and also immortality, you think maybe, maybe nerves would get to him. Let's face it, a couple of times at the Crucible, someone's made 134 and then missed the pink. But Higgins held his nerve. He definitely did. And I was going to ask you a bonus uh, question as well. A little trivia, because there's nothing that Phil Yates doesn't know. Uh, you must have watched about a million <laughs> snooker matches. Who did Stephen Hendry play that day? Stephen Maguire? Oh, no. Bingham. I'm surprised. Bingham. Bingham. And he carried on making big break after big break to dominate the session, which really impressed me. Okay, right. And for another bonus point... Phil, I'm surprised we, we, we caught you out already. Who was the referee in charge that day? I've got no hope whatsoever. I'll say Jan Vaz. Oh, crikey. I am going to say Irene Williams. No. Female referee. Michaela Tab? Michaela Tab. No. Zhu Ying. Oh, the Chinese Ivy. Ivy, yes. Good heavens. You well, see, we only that. remember referees when they make a mistake and she didn't make one. She was very good. <laughs> After the match, Higgins spoke about the 147, but firstly, of course, um, brilliant in defeat as ever. He paid tribute to his opponent, Kurt Mafflin. Oh, no, he was amazing. Uh, all, all through the game, he, he never shied away for any shots. Every credit to him, he, he went for it and he deserved it. The, the break in the... I think it was was it the frame to go 12-11 in front. He's took the red along the bottom cushion. Well, what a shot, what a shot. I was just sitting in admiration there, but I had my chance. But when I got 11-10 in front, missed a bad brown, came down to the other reds. That's, that, 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 was my, that was my good chance. Uh, but taking nothing away, that was amazing. We have to ask you, of course, about the 147. You know, can you take any solace uh, from that? In spite no, of the I, result, I, I suppose after the tournament you might, but I, I definitely think there'll be another one, maybe another two. But I don't think I, I would have done it if there was a crowd put it that way. I, I think the pressure gets to a lot of people here when you're on the maximum and, and the crowd are willing you on and everything. So maybe I was lucky the crowd wasn't here, and that was the only way I would maybe do it. I thought quite an interesting topic for today, fellas, is the overall standard of snooker a lot of people saying it's so much higher these days but yet it has taken us eight years for a 147 at the crucible why is that the case is is it the nature of the event or is it maybe looking at a couple of players that made so many of them I think sometimes we look for reasons when there are none there maybe it's just statistically coincidental there hasn't been one also the Financial reward for 147s has been reduced over the years because of their prevalence. 
back when it was £147,000 for a 147 and 18000 for the high break or 20000 for the high break, then you were really going for them early on in the frames. Now maybe the priority is to win the frame and sometimes go for a blue or a pink or whatever. So that could be a, a contributory factor. I think that's absolutely right. Yes, Phil. Um, I mean, 169,000 is a record. Stephen Hendry, 147,000 pounds, 1,000 pounds per point, and 22,000 for the highest break, which he won in the good old days in the 90s. But uh, I think, you know, John Higgins would swap that maximum right now to be still in this tournament, I can assure you. And what about the results so far? They haven't been typical of the Crucible. Uh, definitely looking at the top half of the draw, that's cut up quite dramatically. It has. The Selby win in the bottom half of the draw means that we're guaranteed a big name, a seed in the final. But up top, anything could happen. It really could. I think uh, so far, the thing that surprised me, historically over the years, if you're going to see runaways, they occur in the last 16. And yet every last 16 match we've seen finished so far has been really, really tight. And Judd Trump against Yan Bing Tao, as I'm speaking here, well, Trump starts 9-7 up in the third session, the final session. That could go close as well. Could we see a new world champion, do you think, Tom? It's very possible. Um, as, you know, you've got no audience here in attendance, so, well, maybe, maybe you might have for the final. Who knows? We'll see. But you, you could have. I mean, there are so many shocks in, in this year's event already, and, you know, what a chance for Kurt Mafflin, Jamie Clark, or Anthony McGill to progress to the semifinals. I mean, who would think that Jamie Clark could be favourite as a world number 89 coming into the qualifiers to get to the quarterfinals? And I would just want to throw this out, and I don't want to start it already, but if we do see a new champion, will there always be an asterisk beside their name? Will they have it as a, you know, bit of a hoodoo? You know, that was the year, but they'll be deserving, I think. From my perspective, I think there will be, but I think that's unfortunate because this is good quality snooker we've seen this week. Lots of century breaks, lots of drama. I think for me commentating it's a normal world championship and if there is that question mark I think it's unfair yeah I agree with that but I think it can't be overlooked I mean it we are living in special times right now and I think you know part of the history of snooker you'll always regard this as that one special crucible theater where there were no audience played under the you know the covid restrictions and yes of course it will have a bearing on who wins certain matches because of the personalities of the players some people love an audience some people don't well another anomaly in this year's championship is the story surrounding Kyron Wilson he won't be having a 17-day marathon if he was to reach the final as most of you will know Wilson received a walkover in round one due to Anthony Hamilton withdrawing from the competition but the Englishman thinks that's something which could actually go against him. I do see it as a disadvantage actually I think you know if you're looking at it sort of short-sightedly I think yeah okay you've, you've earned the extra money you've you've sort of dodged a bullet potentially in round one but you know I'm coming up against players that are sort of match sharp now I've sort of not experienced that yet although I've been practicing very hard you, you can't replicate what match sharpness is. Well we're almost halfway through guys and here he comes. Will he beat Martin Gould, first of all? And, you know, if he was to go on and win the, the championship, will we be always talking about the walkover that he received? I think Karen Wilson's position isn't unusual. It's unprecedented. The Crucible has hosted the World Championship since 1977, and this is the first ever walkover. And I think his position has been heightened by the fact his second-round match has started rather late. So 
Clive Everton, the doyen of commentary, always says it's the 17-day marathon of the mind, the Crucible. But for Corin Wilson, it's a nine-day marathon, maybe even a nine-day sprint. Well, will it be a doddle coming in at this stage? Probably not really, because if you think about it, if Kyron Wilson were to win a couple of matches, he'd be playing a lot of sessions, not consecutively, but he'd be playing matches, consecutive matches within a fairly short space of time. So it might be tiring for Kyron Wilson. If he could have played that first match against Anthony Hamilton and won, he'd have had a you know, fair break between his second round match. But yeah, it's going to be tough. He, he's got no you know, match practice. Uh, Listen, it, 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 it's definitely been made easier, hasn't it? You know, he, he can come in, best of 25, three session format. Even if he is a little bit slow, he's got time to recover in that middle session, even if he was to drop a few frames early. And Corin Wilson's an absolutely fantastic match player who really responds to the Crucible. He's got a good record here, although he's never actually won the title, of course, and never got to the final. But I'll tell you what, he's a formidable match player. That said, the way Martin Gould played, particularly in the first session against Stephen Maguire, was one of the highlights of the championship so far for me. He put together four centuries, and if he replicates that form... Tell you what, Kyron Wilson has got his hands full and then some. Yeah, he leads in the head-to-heads uh, with, with Kyron as well, Martin Gould, just having the, the upper hand. I'll be very surprised if Kyron starts really well because he's not match sharp. He hasn't really experienced the crucible atmosphere as it is. Martin Gould knows exactly what to expect. And he is a good starter ordinarily. He's an attacking player and he could take the game to Kyron. As you say, he's got a marginally better head-to-head. It could be a tough match for Kyron. Well, they're only going to be starting and we're talking about players that are already in the quarterfinal. We spoke about Mark Selby, of course, who's just booked his place as we record this podcast. And of course, Kurt Mafflin joining him, veteran Mark Williams, who has been working really hard uh, this time round and he was delighted with his win. Yeah, what an unbelievable game. It was, um, you know, the first couple of sessions could have gone either way. Um, we both kept missing easy balls and, and when we was in front and... You know, throwing frames away. I, I, I threw about four or five away, and I think Stuart did as well. But you know, he started off well this morning. I think probably that's why I played well because I knew if I didn't up my game, he was probably going to run away with it. You know, even when I had a 75 break in the last, I just wished that long red would have got him because I knew the next 15 minutes was going to be torture because I knew he was going to get a few snookers. The balls was nicely placed for snookers, and uh, you know, I'm just glad he didn't get two. I've been practicing my nuts off for the last four months. You know, every day I've been in the club. Practicing with uh, Lee Walker, you know, sometimes from nine till four, and we've been sneaking in best of seven sometimes as well. If I can get on a roll, you don't get nothing in this game if you don't put the work in. And, and I haven't done the last year, year or two, but I'm putting the work in now, so I got no excuses. If if I don't win or anything, then I'm just not good enough. So he's been practicing his off. Is that why his voice sounds a bit higher? <laughs> Clearly, he's been practicing very, very hard. And what a how refreshing is that? Mark Williams is one of my best friends on the circuit. We got on really well, and I must admit that I was watching that match with interest today. <laughs> Nothing against Stuart, who's a really good guy as well, but it's great to see Williams with this positive attitude. He says he's never retiring, he's going to continue playing, and I think he arrives at this championship feeling better about his game than he's done, certainly since he won the championship a couple of years ago. What a performance that was, 13-11. The second session, by the way, Dominic and I commentated on it. I've never seen a session like it at the Crucible. Every frame, it seemed, was tight. We had one frame on the black, four on the pink, and one on the blue. You don't see that in a session. No, you don't. And, and a lot of the public love those sort of matches, and a lot of them like 
you know, frames that are one in one visit with big breaks. But, you know, ordinarily when you watch, you know, snooker at the Crucible, you, there's something for everybody. You get a mixture of everything, but that was an unusual session. But it's great to have Mark still in the tournament. He's got this sort of acidulous sense of humour. So he's laughing and joking, having fun with everybody. And, uh, you know, with his experience, he's one of these players that makes players struggle against him. He's just such a crafty player. Mark wins matches when he's not really knocking in big break after big break. And that's unusual in the modern game. He's crafty, isn't he? And he's, he's, he's obviously, you know, been there, done it three times a winner. And uh, he's one of those uh, part of the special crew that made a 147 here at the Crucible. I told you it'd be on the menu. And it was in 2005. Can you name his opponent in 2005? When Mark Williams made a 147? Oh, goodness me, 2005. I'm going to redeem myself, Robert Milkins. Yes, yes, yes. I would yes. never remember that. Well, if you didn't remember that, you might not remember this or the next one either. Uh, for the bonus point, how many minutes did it take him to clear the table? Mm, this is a complete guess. I'm just trying to work out on average shot times. Maybe 11 minutes, 40 seconds. Oh, that's close. I'm going to say about 12 and a half. He was way better than that. Way quicker. Nine minutes it took him. And for a final point, who was the referee? Again, I've got no chance. Think about it now. It's 2005, so you've got to go way back. I've got a sneaking hunch here because when a Welsh player is playing, they always like to put a Welsh referee in charge. So I am going to say Irian Williams. The late Colin Brinded. Oh, no. He refereed me in the final of the Grand Prix in 97. A lovely chap. What a shame. He refereed one of the most controversial matches ever at the Crucible. The one where Peter Ebden played very, 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 very slowly against uh, Ronnie yes. O'Sullivan. And I'll tell you what, Colin Brindhead was one of the nicest gentlemen you'll ever meet. Yeah. When he passed away, it was a terrible loss for the game. Yes, I think he was only 61 years old or something from Great Yarmouth. Big opera fan. We used to sort of swap opera CDs and DVDs and things at the time. Lovely man. On that, we're going to go and find out how Jimmy Weiss is getting on at the Crucible. He promised on the first episode of the break that there would be a blood, sweat and definitely tears working on site for 17 days with Colin Murray uh, for the Eurosport coverage. Hopefully you've all been enjoying that. And earlier I caught up with the whirlwind over Zoom to see how he's coping. Yeah, it's good. You know, the snooker's been great. Kirk Mafflin, my practice friend and player, he's playing fantastic stuff. John Higgins looked really sharp and he, he managed to get over the line there. And then we got Trump finishing off tonight and Ronnie O'Sullivan playing ding. Don't get no much better if you're a snooker fan. I was watching the Eurosport coverage. You were like a proud daddy when uh, Mafflin won. You must feel the fact that you've practised so much with him that, you know, you're a big part of the success, I guess, we've seen. Can he go on and win it, do you think? Yeah, of course he can. You know, he's got the cue action. I don't know about this year. But he can, he can get to the semi-final. He, whoever he plays out of Anthony McGill and Jamie Clark, he's going to be favourite, you know, because he's just beaten John Higgins and he also beat uh, Dave Gilbert in a really tough match. But he has one of them very special cue actions. Reminds me of Steve Davis. Not a lot can go wrong. His strength is he goes for a lot of shots. Now, if they go in, he can beat anybody. Terrific Hugh action. He's a, a brilliant, brilliant player. But we know that a lot of this game, it's all between the years, Jimmy. Has he got the right mentality to go on and be champion? It's a big ask. Game-wise, he has. He can win it one year. I think he still has time. He's only 34, I think. And, uh, you know, you're seeing these top players, Williams, O'Sullivan's, Higgins's. They're playing into their 45, still winning major tournaments. It's a massive ask. 
he's capable of winning it. I don't think this year, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. There's the worst players won it. Do you think whoever wins it, they'll always be kind of that star, the asterisk beside their name? That, you know, you won it in 2020. Will they be worthy champions? Um, listen, I think anyone would take that. You know, it's dreadful times. You know, the world is crazy at the moment, you know, but uh, they're playing for a lot of prize money and a lot of pride. And at the end of the day, your name will be on the trophy. It'll only be a 20 years time. It might be a pub quiz question. You, know? you would have taken it, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and actually on that, uh, yesterday, John Higgins said that he might not have achieved the 147 had there been a crowd in there. And it kind of made me think whether you might have won the Worlds without a crowd. I think what's proved to me this lockdown, I, I have been practising for about two or three years. I work with you all the time on Eurosport. You know I'm still trying. Uh-huh. I found in this practice in lockdown, I got it together so good. I was beating Urson Backer. I played Mathlin 110 frames. He beat me 56-54. So I know my game's there. I just have to go back now and work on my temperament because my game has been gone and I haven't uh, worked on my temperament at all. I've got my game back together. So I'm going to give it another solid year. Hopefully Mathlin's talking about moving to London, so it'd be a good practice partner. Would you think ever of, you know, chatting to a Steve Peters or, or somebody like that? No, I, I think it's quite simple. I just need to get back to just enjoying the match play side of it. Which actually we're seeing Mark Williams, he seems to be enjoying it again, thank God, because he's been hating it, you know, obviously with both of us working with Eurosport, we remember all the interviews and ah, oh, just prefer to be playing golf or fishing or whatever, but finally he's, he seems to be up for it. Can he win it? I don't know. He has to play a lot better than that to beat O'Sullivan or Ding for me, you know. He played okay. McManus played very well against him first session and then the second session he played very well with him. This match was spits and farts, but nothing that would see what I would think would beat Ding or Ronnie O'Sullivan. So did, it wouldn't surprise me if he won it. Did you just say spits and farts there? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> It's all right. It's a it's a new one on me, uh, Jimmy. You're finally you're very sensible these days. I'm not going to say that you're you've quite reached monk status, but have you having any fun up there? You enjoying it? All right. We're missing you because when you come down, we have a vat of wine. <laughs> no, I, you know. Listen, it's by the time we go off air, go back to the hotel. You can't even get a drink if you want to. It's like being in lockdown, really. Okay. All right. Well, listen, there'll be days again for all of that fun. Cheers to you. We'll we'll talk to you soon. All right. God bless. Spits and farts. (laughs) Great to chat with Jimmy as always. He really is a character. And I think it's fair to say he's doing just fine up there at at, at the cruise. What about you guys? How are you coping? Well, Jimmy's doing fine. I think Colin's doing a great job as well. Colin Murray really enjoying his work. For me, it's always a great pleasure to be involved with the World Championship and there is no better tournament on the calendar. I'm thoroughly enjoying my time in the commentary box and because I'm watching all these great players at close quarters commentating on them, it makes me feel like I want to keep practising and and playing this game a bit longer and um, competing with these guys because I'm enjoying it. Okay, so it's all fun and games then. What do you do in your spare time? Have you got any spare time? 
Well, I'm writing match reports for the snooker scene magazine, which is quite a laborious process. I'm also doing some of the international highlights as well from my hotel room. So this is 17 days where I'm maximising my income and then I can sort of store a few nuts away like a squirrel and then you know, go into my money when I'm not working. That's the, that's the motivation for me. OK, have you booked a holiday? Are you going to celebrate in style when the, the championship ends? Please don't, Rachel. Every single world championship, I've got that carrot at the end of it. I go to America for three or four weeks. I have a great time playing golf in the American Southwest. And, of course, that was completely scuppered this year by COVID-19. It's the first time I've not been to America playing golf in the summer since 1991. Good heavens. I feel feel like the big baddie now. (laughs) What about yourself? That makes what I'm going to (laughs) say sort of pale into insignificance, really. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the 60s TV series, The Avengers, so I've been watching loads of stuff, reading stuff on The Avengers, taking a few trips around London and the suburbs, Hertfordshire, visiting places where they filmed The Avengers in the 1960s. But other than that, you know, I enjoy listening to my opera and I've been watching a few of the ballets. I'm a massive fan of Dame Margot Fontaine, watching some of her performances with Rudolf Nureyev. And that's how I'm filling my time and, and, and spending time in some of the local pubs in Stroud with some of my friends and uh, okay. enjoying myself. Good. Dom has got one of Diana Riggs' dresses, but he doesn't fit. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I own a Diana Rigg evening gown that she wore in Honey for Guys, the Guys, you're hijacking this podcast with this nonsense, the Avengers, and what happened to our snooker. Um, the other guest that we've had on has pretty much been curry and wine, <laughs> I have to say. But uh, brilliant that you've been enjoying it. And there are still second round matches that will get underway before our next episode of The Break. Quickly, Ding and Ronnie, what a, an occasion that will be. They both play the game properly. They've got great mutual respect. And you just know one thing about that. Can't predict the results, but the standard will be good. Absolutely. I mean, oh, crikey, it's hard to call this match. But listen, I thought Ronnie played great in his first match with Tet Chai, but he wasn't put under any pressure. If Ding puts Ronnie under pressure, there's no reason why he can't win. He's a fantastic player. This could be a really tremendously intriguing match and a close one too. Yeah, can't wait. You tipped Ronnie to win it outright, so you should be tipping yeah. him to beat, to, to beat Ding as well. Well, I am. Uh, Martin Gould and Kyron Wilson, that's a real fascinating match, isn't it? It is. It's a contrast in styles. Wilson is the more measured player, I would say the better safety player, but Gould's scoring power against Maguire was out of this world. I'd make that 50-50 genuinely. I'm sitting on the fence on that oh, one. Oh, my goodness. That's the last thing we need on this podcast. Get off the fence. Who, who are you tipping? Gould, just. OK. Dominic. <sighs> Kyron, actually. I think in the end, his experience and his ability and just overall consistency just might win the day. Hawkins and Robertson. Robertson, but it won't be easy because Barry Hawkins takes his game to a new level when he's at the Crucible. He's in the last 16 for the 10th consecutive year now. That takes some doing. And when Barry Hawkins gets on a roll, I'll tell you what, he's a phenomenal player. He produced a tremendous performance against Ronnie O'Sullivan when they met in the final. It was one of the best performances I've seen, actually, from a runner-up. He played better to lose that final than a lot of players have played to actually win the championship. I'm going for Barry Hawkins, something like 39. I just think he's such a solid player. And I don't think Neil Robson will be able to impose his style of play, his great attacking, great building style of play on Barry Hawkins. He'll be just too solid for him. You're getting good at this. You're even giving me correct scores now. I like it. I don't mind making a fool of myself. I've been knocking um, Phil Yates off that fence, I can assure you, for our next uh, podcast. Guys, thanks so much. Uh, I did make a note, or I, the gentleman, tempted to change their predictions. Dominic, you went with Ronnie. Yeah. Sticking. Oh, yes. And there's sticking or twisting with Judd Trump, Phil. 
Well, I was getting a bit concerned when it was 5-3, let me tell you. 5-3 to Yan Bingtao overnight, but now going into that final session, it's 9-7, so I'm feeling a lot more comfortable. It would be great to see Judd Trump win because it would then cap what's been undoubtedly the finest season in snooker history. It would be his seventh ranking title and his total prize money would be over £1.5 million. It would be absolutely awesome and uh, we look forward to of course uh, all of the brilliant snooker on Eurosport. Thanks fellas, I'll let you get back to your Avengers, your dresses, uh, Dominic and uh, Phil, all the hard work that you'll be doing. Thanks so much uh, for joining us uh, on the break and if you've not uh, already done so, please subscribe, rate and review our podcast on whichever app or website you listen to us uh, through. Uh, We'd all really appreciate that. Uh, Don't forget also, it's Eurosport and eurosport.co.uk for all the live snooker from the Betfred World Snooker Championship until the 16th of August. We'll be back in a couple of days' time ahead of the quarterfinals, but until then, uh, from Phil, Dominic and myself, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye, bye-bye.